Thank you, Jody, and good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Etienne, and my word of welcome too, if you're a visitor here. Great to have you along. Uh, thank you to everyone else who kind of uh, did, the, did the work for me already to introduce what we're talking about today, so I can just go straight in. Um, we are in a Proverbs series, just for those of you who haven't um, tuned into this yet. Um, topics we're covering last week, today, next week, and the week after, I think. Words, self-control, money, and the future. I have a simple question for you to start with. That's the question on the screen. Why do you want more money? Now, I'm making an assumption here. That question is a huge assumption. It's an assumption that most of us, uh, including myself, uh, think about that. We sort of, I'm guessing, I don't think it's a safe guess, by default, are usually sort of thinking about what would I do if I had more money? How can I enlarge my income stream? Higher paying job, greater profits if I run a business, investments. You know, I'd like my budget to show a greater, a stronger, more healthy figure uh, on the income side. We're always about cutting expenses, but let's be honest, more on the income is sort of where our thoughts are at. Why do we want that? That's the question I want us to dig into today. And the key word there is why. Why is always the most important question about anything we think about. Not how, when, those sorts of things. It's why. Because the why question digs into our motives. And today what I'm going to do is really, I'll read some other proverbs dealing with money, but the one I want to unpack is really just this one. Proverbs 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it, and he adds no sorrow or trouble to it. You can translate trouble as sorrow or trouble or variety of ways. This proverb may look a bit cryptic, a bit confusing what it's trying to say. But here's what it wants to say. More money is going to do either one of two things in your life. It's going to bring only one of two things. They're the two things I'm going to talk about. The first thing that more money can bring into your life is the blessing of the Lord. <laughs> the, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth, you know, and I want to almost suggest that that kind of functions a bit in... in Inversely, good wealth, health, uh, uh, appropriate wealth is going to bring the blessing of the Lord. It, it comes with the blessing of the Lord. Money or more money is going to bring, as one of two things, the blessing of the Lord to you. How is it going to do that? How is more money in your life going to be the blessing of the Lord? Well, it can be the blessing of the Lord in one of two ways. Firstly, 
Money can be a blessing to you, a blessing of God to you, if you need more money. I'm assuming that there are people here today who uh, do not have all your material needs met. You're falling short. And I'm not talking here about what we want to have. I'm talking about what we need to have. We all know, I think at a conscience level, what's the difference between need-to-haves in life and want-to-haves in life. God is greatly concerned and interested and willing to provide us with what we need. <laughs> if you are here today and you, you need more money, you're, you're not meeting what's, what are the basic necessities of, of life for, for, for a life that, that God has designed and has in mind for you, you can rest assured that um, your desire, your prayer, your request, your hope for more money can and I believe will come with the blessing of the Lord. It's very simple, it's very straightforward. Ask him for it, seek for it, hope for it, and uh, be assured that that's okay, because I want to start off from this point simply to say that it's not like all money is evil. Money is neutral. It can certainly be a blessing simply in receiving it, simply in getting it from God. But there's a second way in which money can be a blessing from the Lord or bring the blessing of the Lord to your life. It's not only in receiving money if you need it. It can be the blessing of the Lord to you in giving it where it's needed. Now we're going to talk about the area of giving. First thing that jumps to our mind when we think about giving away money as a Christian is the issue of tithing. Now, tithing, if you're a new Christian or a, or a, or a non-Christian or you're not familiar with what that is, it's, it's basically uh, what Christians commonly uh, think of as a portion of their income. Usually, many Christians would look at 10% and they base that as a guiding principle from, from, from the Old Testament uh, throughout the New Testament as you take a portion, 10% of your income, you give it to the work of your local church or other organisations as well, but most commonly uh, to the work of your local church. It's a priority. Uh, you put it into your budget as the first thing you do, not the last thing you do, not something that you do. If you have the money, you do it regardless. It's a healthy thing. It's a good thing. Uh, and I'm not going to talk a great deal about that today. What I want to talk about is about a mistake that we often make in our Christian lives. The mistake we make is that we think if you are a Christian and if you have been a Christian for a long time, I've done my tithe, whatever it is that you decided to tithe, I've given to God and I'm done. The rest of the money is me to spend, to think what I want to do, how I want to spend. Uh, God's side is done. God's business or God's path is, is finished. I want to talk about an example of a person who I think we need to look at when it comes to this. Many of you would know the name John Wesley, and I think I may even have referred to him before in a sermon here, but I'll do it again because this is just breathtaking. 
John Wesley, uh, towards the end of his life, was known and might be known to you as a famous Christian uh, songwriter. He was, a, he was a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist, hugely famous in the 1700s, 1700s, I think. As a young child, he grew up incredibly poor. His father went to jail twice for not having enough money to repay debts. You know, he probably was in that category where money to him would have been an absolute blessing of the Lord just to provide for the family. That's, that's, that's the context in which John Wesley grew up. He was determined not to be that poor himself. So he worked hard. He became a, a, a scholar at Oxford University, became quite successful and uh, kind of lived a high life. He just started drinking and smoking and thought, you know what, I'm done with the poverty life, I'm going to live it up. And he did. Uh, And rumour has it one day there was a chambermaid who came to clean his room at Oxford University and he was busy hanging up really expensive pictures while smoking and drinking and carrying on and she didn't have a, a coat or a jacket, she was really cold. And it hit him, apparently like a ton of bricks. That hang on. He said to himself, I'm hanging up pictures while this lady is freezing of cold. She does not have the money to buy a coat. We're not really sure whether it was purely because of this incident or other things God did in his life, but we do know that John Wesley's life changed drastically from that point on, in particularly his relationship with money. Here's what he did. He decided he's going to work out how much money it's going to cost him to cover what he needs to live. Now, in those days, when he started working at Oxford University, he got paid 30 pounds for the year. You could make a living off that. He worked out, I need 28 pounds to live, to cover my needs, what I need for life, leaving me with two pounds per year that I can give away. This is how he budgeted. Now, let me show you how John Wesley's budget then unfolded for the rest of his life. It looked like this. In his second year at Oxford, he earned 60 pounds. He was still convinced he could live off 28 pounds. He gave away 32. In his third year, he earned 90 Still lived off 28, gave away 62. In his fourth year, he earned 120. Still lived off 28, gave away 92 pounds. Take a guess. How much did John Wesley earn towards the end of his career? Anyone? Yell out. Did he earn? pounds. He was insanely successful. He was one of the wealthiest people of the time. <laughs> How much did he live off? 30 pounds. Maybe he thought, well, I earned 1,400. I could surely take an extra two for myself in my old age. I don't know what it was, but he reached the end of his life and he's done over 1,400 pounds, this man said. I, I don't need that. I don't think that John Wesley is an exception 
I think John Wesley is the standard for the Christian life. I think he models to us what Christ wants our relationship with money to be. It needs to be and it should be the blessing of the Lord in covering our needs. And then from that point on, it needs to be to bring the blessing of the Lord into our world. <laughs> to let the kingdom break in. You know, I, I, I think the, the mistake that we've fallen into in our Western thinking is we're capitalists, right? We live in a capitalistic society. It works like this. If I want to give more away, I've got to grow the pie so that the piece I give away can grow with it. If we were John Wesley, if I was John Wesley, I would most likely have said to myself, look, I'm going to stick to my 10%. Maybe I'll even make it 15%. And at the end of my life, I'd feel good about myself and say, gee, look at this. I've gone from giving two pounds to 140. Man, I've grown in my maturity in following Christ. <laughs> the problem with that is that's not motivated by generosity. What motivates that kind of giving is greed. <laughs> Myself. I'm, I'm the one who still walks away with the maturity of, of, of the money that I make. And I think it's, it's a difficult thing for us who live in a Western, wealthy, affluent, capitalistic society. We struggle with it. Perhaps more than with anything in our lives, in our Christian lives. Jesus, when it came to money and the way he wants us to be when it comes to money, this may offend some here, but I think the idea is that we'll be much more like some of those get-up activists. Now, these are people who stand for a cause, let's say climate change. They let their entire companies, their entire being, everything they are, every profit they make, everything just drives this, this cause that they sow into. Now, I don't identify with the causes, nor with the tactics, nor with the characters displayed, but I do think the gospel identifies with the ferocity, ferocity with which they, they, they identify, they drive their causes. <laughs> God is not against you or me or anyone making money. He was not against John Wesley becoming incredibly successful. But God is acutely interested in the question, why? Why do we want to get rich? <laughs> is it about the blessing of the Lord received and extended? Or is it about us? That's always the question that the gospel asks. There's a story in the New Testament of a young ruler came to Jesus. And he asked him, what must I do to inherit the kingdom or to, to, to be saved, to go to heaven? And, you know, Jesus asks him or he tells him, obey the law, love your father and your mother, do what God wants you to do. And he goes, yep. I do all these things. And then Jesus asks him, okay, one more thing. Sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and come follow me. 
And the story ends that that rich young man turned around, he was incredibly sad, and he walked away from Jesus. Who will we be is the question for us when it comes to our money. Will we walk away from Jesus because of our money? That's the difficult question, the searching question, the, 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 the hard business that, that, that we have to do with God when it comes to the issue of money. And of course, the hope and the prayer for all of us is that we would not be hurled from Jesus because of money. You ask any person, from the Solomons, from any impoverished, impoverished country, you ask any Christian, what is our biggest problem in our country, they'll tell you, your money. Your money is holding you back from Jesus. It's a veer, it's an indictment on us, and something that we must constantly wrestle with. Why do you want more money? Why do you want a higher paying job? Why do you want your business to grow? All of which there's nothing wrong with. But be satisfied in your answer to yourself. Is it to advance the blessing of the Lord in others? Or is it for myself? My comfort, my pleasure, my sense of self-worth. That's the first thing. I believe this proverb is saying that money can and will and seeks to and wants to bring the blessing of the Lord to your life, whether it's for you or whether it's for others. Now let's move to the second part. What else can money bring? Sorrow, quite simply put, is the trouble or the sorrow of money. Ray Ortland says, when you make money by the blessing of the Lord, you don't have to bend the rules. You can keep your promises. You don't have to overwork yourself. Your conscience can stay clear and you make enough money to share with others, which is joyful. There is no sorrow in that. Money can make your life miserable and sorrowful in four ways, and I'll deal with them very quickly. Firstly, there's the sorrow of controlling others. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. How often is money used to control other people? Rich governments do this with poorer nations. They borrow their money and then they hold them to ransom in these unfair debts. How often is money used to control children, to control uh, relationships that are breaking up? It's a sorrow. There's a sorrow of conflict. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. The word greedy can also be translated as uh, wide of appetite. <laughs> we can be so hungry for money, so hungry to have more, that like addicts, literally, you know, when a person gets really addicted, whether it's the drugs or alcohol or something, uh, at the latter stage, stages of the addiction, they'll stop at nothing to get the substance that they're addicted to. We do the same with money. We'll stop at nothing to get it. <laughs> um, 
Simon actually told me a story once, and I'm going to tell it to you. It's a beautiful story, a story of a, of a son, a boy, who asked his dad, Dad, how much do you earn per hour? And the dad was a little bit uh, cranky and said, look, don't talk about money. That's a very uh, disrespectful question. None of your business what I earn per hour. But he pressed on. He said, Dad, no, I really want to know. And the dad eventually relented and said, look, I earn $30 an hour whatever it was. It was a week later that Dad got home and the son handed him his jar full of coins. He says, look, here's 30 bucks. Can I have an hour with you? It is what we do with money sometimes. We become like those fathers or mothers or people, our culture, not necessarily you or us or anyone here, but certainly culturally we, we see this. People would stop at nothing and the conflict and the carnage and the hurt that it wrecks. It's a sorrow, an absolute sorrow. There's the sorrow of confusion. The wicked person earns deceptive wages. The word deceptive wages can be translated as uh, uh, wages that are a lie. <laughs> There's the lie that you're going to be happy when you get to your target amounts. There's the lie that when you retire at age 50, so work really hard now and destroy everything that's really valuable in your life so that when you're 50 you can retire, that you'll then be fulfilled, that you'll then be happy. It's a lie. <laughs> and we get so confused. You hear of so many people who hit that sweet spot and they're confused. They say we just are not as happy as we thought we would be. The truth is, of course, that that's true because we're confused God with money. We thought what would make us happy would be that, but it wasn't. Very simple. And the last one, finally, the last sorrow is this. The sorrow of corruption. The Lord detests differing weights and the dishonest scales, dishonest scales do not please him. The word detests is most strongly put an abomination. God hates it. God hates it. When, uh, when we are not honest with money. God hates it when uh, we quote on a job for more than it's worth. God hates it when we pay someone less than they're worth. God hates that stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a sorrow. <laughs> and it does not please God. Okay. These are some ways money can bring great sorrow. I want to finish up now and wrap this up. It's heavy going today. We spoke about a sensitive issue. In fact, it's known that culturally Australians are much more happy to talk about all sorts of intimate parts of their lives, including sex, uh, <laughs> diet, any kind of health-related problem, but you do not talk about money. <laughs> money is the one thing that we almost culturally consider as sacred. Do not, it's no one's business what I do with my money. And yet here we are today, and this is what we talk about. And I love that it's pointed out, because Jesus spoke about it. Jesus is on about disciples, people who follow him. And if, if, if that is not going to affect how our relationship with money, we're not interested in following Jesus. So we do. But I want to be very clear before I finish up. We're not speaking about money today because we need money as a church. In fact, we're ahead of budget because I suspect a lot of what we said today is lived out 
in the life of our congregation, and we're super grateful for that. We're also not talking about money because we've got something coming. There's no pitch next week or next month even for a project or something like that. (laughs) So why are we talking about money today then? I'd like you to look at this clip. Uh, And before we play it, uh, I'll just give you the context. This is from a movie. It's the ending of a movie called Schindler's List. Some of you would have seen it. It's hard-hitting. It's a story of a man called Oskar Schindler. He's a German. He lived in, uh, in Germany in World War II. And as the war breaks out, Oskar Schindler sees his opportunity. He recognises he can get stinking rich out of this. He starts factories that manufacture uh, enamel, uh, cookware and crockery and stuff for the German army. And in order to keep his factories going, he needs to have cheap labour. To have his cheap labour, he starts... Um, convincing the the government to release Jewish people to work in his factories. And the movie kind of tells the story of how over the course of the war, you know, his heart gets changed. You see Oskar Schindler moving from where he was in the beginning to where he is in the end. And then there's this absolutely gripping scene at the end of the movie uh, that I want to show you of how how he ends up. So, thank you, Ryan. Thank you. 
person is that. For this. I could have gone one more person. And I didn't. I, I, I didn't. <laughs> One day, each and every single one of us will reach that point where we're with Jesus and we will look back on our lives and we'll be able to reflect whether our money brought the blessing of the Lord whether it brought sorrow. I just, I just pray that on that day that the sorrow of regret will not be ours. I don't know what it is for you, what God is calling you to do with your money. You need to work that out with him, but I do know that he does not want us to stand there with the sorrow of regret that we would say we have done everything to bring the blessing of the Lord while we could. (laughs) The question is for us, who do we want to be on that last day? John Wesley or Oscar Schindler? That's the question. That's the question we must answer ourselves today. For the rest of our lives, what relationship are we going to have with money? Is it going to bring the blessing of the Lord to us and to others Or is it going to bring sorrow? And here's the thing. Here's the beauty of what you need to hear as you reflect on that decision. You need to know this as a disciple, that in Christ, all things are yours already. (laughs) Uh, Paul talks to the Corinthians, whether Paul or Apollos, uh, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. You are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Because you already have all things in Christ. Don't chase after what you think money could add to what you already have in Christ. Because you already have Christ. Let our relationship of money be something or such that it is something that brings the blessing of the Lord first to us and then to others. As John Wesley said, when it comes to money, by, by the power of the Spirit, let us earn all we can, save all we can, and give all we can. Let's pray. Father, I pray very specifically and passionately for people who are here today who do not have enough money, who do not have their needs met. Be they needs uh, of health, be they needs of food, be they needs of shelters, be they need of of employment, as your gift to to provide money for us, God, will you provide? Father, will you provide work? Will you provide businesses to be stimulated and to grow and let money bring your blessing to these people?
that they may be thankful and grateful to you as their provider. Father, for those of us in this building who uh, have more than we need, Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work in us and instill in us a great desire to bring your blessing into this world through our resources. Lord, let us be so drawn to you, see you as of such a great value to our lives that we can do nothing but completely surrender us to your cause, not in misery but in extreme joy. Father, let money bring no sorrow to us, I pray. Free us from it. Let us not turn away from Jesus, saddened. Instead, let us come to you, gladdened, grateful, keen, and joyful. Thank you that you are an incredible wealth to us. Remind us every day of our lives of just how precious you are, what we have, how rich we are, and how little we lack, just in Christ. We thank you, we love you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.